RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Episode 6, Letter from Rick Berman to Gene Roddenberry, January 7th, 1987. Support for the Trek Files comes from our friends at Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the first Starship in the collection, Star Trek The Next Generation's Enterprise D, for only $4.95 with free shipping when you sign up now at st-starships.com slash thetrekfiles. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, deep divers and Trekophiles, spelled with an F. Uh, we've got a great document today <laughs> out of Gene's archives, uh, and all the better because of the guest we've got to talk about it. Uh, I don't want to, this is a very simple piece, but it's one that's very private. It's the best example of what we're getting out of, uh, out of the archives. Just take a listen to this little piece of correspondence. January 7, 1987. Dear Gene, last night I eagerly drove home, had supper, and crawled into bed with the exquisite gift you gave me. My father was an artist, and I was brought up with something I can only describe as a reverence toward Monet. As a true studio guy, however, it's my solemn responsibility to always raise a flag. My problem is simple. How the hell am I going to remember who gave me this book if there's no inscription? Rick. We'll be right back after a short word from our sponsor. Star Trek fans, your ships have come in. The official Star Trek Starships collection from Eagle Moss is the ultimate collection of the most significant vessels from across the Star Trek universe, from the original series to Star Trek Beyond and Beyond. Each ship is cast in a specially formulated metallic resin and hand-painted with reference to actual production models. Each also comes with a display base and collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of technology on board. Start your collection today with the USS Enterprise 1701D for only $4.95 with free shipping. New models ship twice monthly, and you may cancel your subscription at any time. For details on the entire collection and to order, visit st-starships.com slash thetrackfiles. Make it so at st-starships.com slash thetrackfiles. That's right, kitties. That was a letter <laughs> written by... Uh, thank you. Apparently, Gene Roddenberry, early in their relationship, gave Rick Berman um, a Monet book, which he treasured. Wrote this uh, typed letter, hand-signed, um, hand-signed piece, back when Richard K. Berman was the vice president for long-form and special projects at Paramount. And so, th- who better to talk with me about this little piece and what it meant for early 1987, 1987, January, when Next Generation was barely a sparkle in Gene's eye, then our good friend, uh, that 
fan turned studio killer <laughs> working so many years for Rick uh, at the, the the modern Star Trek uh, world there for Mary Howard Rick Berman is his assistant then later associate producer on Enterprise uh, on the remastered original series project and he's literally the last Trek man standing from the old guard at Paramount right now at Paramount Parks and Resorts my good friend Dave Rossi Dave thank you for being on the show thank you for having me Larry it's good to be here <laughs> This is another good time. Uh, this is just a simple little letter, but I, and it's from January 87, so just so everybody knows, they'd barely all been back from September, October uh, 86. They're working on Next Generation. This is just Bob Justman. And now, some of the art staff's been hired by now. It's Herman and all that, but Rick Berman is a studio guy. He's not part of the show, but he's being reported to, and... Um, he becomes part of the team about February, March. So this is before then. But Gene and he had gotten to know each other from meetings and doing buddy up stuff. They, as he says, his dad was an artist. Um, and I think this is part of Gene's wooing. Yeah. Now you you of Rick. you've been around Rick since you were a PA. Yes. Worked for him officially after that, but they're in the bullpen. So basically, from the fifth season of Next Gen, right? That's correct. Forward. So a few years put in with. With Rick? 14, to the day. <laughs> oh, that's I right. I started on May 13th and ended on May 13th, 14 years later. Okay. So you were there. You knew both of these gentlemen, although Gene was in his last yes. last uh, painful months. Uh, so, yeah, so what does that conjure up just reading it? Well, you know, I, I, over the years, I certainly uh, being a huge Star Trek fan, it was great to pick Rick's brain about how he got involved in it and how it all started because he's right. not a Star Trek guy. Right, he's he's not a fan in the way uh, any of right. us are. So, uh, what's interesting, I think, and what what is uh, what speaks loudest in that that letter is that there is no mention of Star Trek, um, mm. and that was kind of what what summed up their relationship early on. In that, um, you know, as they were going through a lot of the meetings, Gene was. I won't say pitted against, but you know, there's a there's a in any creative discussion, in any studio discussion, you, it's a it can be a contentious it's process. It's a negotiation, right? In, in, indeed, yeah. and uh, and so you know, Gene was in there probably with his lawyer Leonard Mazelish. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I know that uh, uh, Rick was part of the Paramount. Um, yeah, executive same. branch that was in there trying to uh, trying to negotiate this deal, and uh, Rick would always tell me that when it got really heated, he Rick would be the the kind of voice of reason, and and even on the studio side, telling the studio, whoa, 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 let's let's back off a minute, let's just mm-hmm. let's just talk about this and and think about it from a different and, angle. And, and we're talking about leading up to even doing the deal, or are we talking about after the deal was done, as the show started to stack? I don't. Up? I'm not sure of the specifics and the timing of it, okay. but but I would assume that you know they already already realized that this was going to be a, a show that was going to be syndicated. Right. So I would assume that that the deal had been cut with Gene already. Uh, and this was more talking okay. about the direction of the show, uh, what it was going to be, what Gene's vision for it was versus what the studio's vision for it was. Uh, and and so Rick a lot of the time played peacekeeper, and that's one of the things that caught Gene's attention, I think. And so uh, the way Rick tells it, um, you know, Gene invited Rick out for a few separate lunches, and 
they never talked about Star Trek, not once. He said it never came up. And what they both realized is that they were both very well-traveled, um, and they had a lot of the same passions and, and enjoyed a lot of the same things, and that's where this gift yeah. comes from, obviously, and, through one of their discussions. I mean, and Rick, we should take a second. And I, I always wanted to talk to Rick about this. I never had a chance to. I'd like to still. He, he was an, in, he's an independent documentary maker. He was in the Himalayas. He was in Asia. He, was, he did Big Blue Marble for ABC, the kids' right. kids' educational or cultural programming on the weekends. Which we all watched as kids, right? Right, yeah. right, right. Big Blue Marble. <laughs> yeah. He won an Emmy, I think. For he, did. Yes. he did. He yeah. did, yeah. So he'd been around the world and culture. Like he says, his dad was an artist. So um, yeah. that then into things they connected. And, of course, Gene had you know, world, uh, the war, uh, the, the Pan Am pilot that crashed and saved his passengers. I mean, the whole Gene story. Yeah. And, and you know, I think what Gene was looking for was an advocate – on the studio side, certainly, that, that could have helped things. And so when he went to Rick, and Rick says, you know, he'll tell you to this day, it was the hardest decision he's ever had to make. When Gene offered him a job, uh, Rick was, his son had, his first son had, had just been born or was just about to be born. And he had a, a comfortable life. I mean, he was a VP at a major studio. And he and his wife had just kind of settled in. And now you have this this uh, right upstart <laughs> this producer come to you and say hey how would you like to work on this highly <laughs> you know right, right. this this gamble of a show that's going to be in syndication which first of all it's going to be in what <laughs> you know i mean the, you're you're inventing what to pioneer to what this right, exactly right, right. this is not the franchise right then right, yeah, right exactly right. it was a big risk again. It, it was a huge risk and uh, rick said he you know uh, he and his wife just talked about it ad nauseum. I mean, it, they had a lot to uh, to consider. And at the at the very end, based on the conversations he had with Gene, and they saw that they could work well together. And again, not not that it was there was no Star Trek entering into the conversation. It was and you know, which ironically, even though that never came up in their conversations, they never talked about Star Trek in that way. Rick. You can say what you want about the creative choices that were made over those 18 years of next gen all the way through Enterprise. Uh, but he carried Gene's vision, mm-hmm. whether he believed in the I was vision say, or he not. He often said that it wasn't, yeah. Exactly. It's, uh, he didn't believe necessarily in that future or that, you know. But he, every day in, day out, and he was a hard worker, I can tell you that. And he carried that vision straight through to the end. So. Um, so that that memo that you just that letter that you just read is really indicative of their relationship, which was not Star Trek based at all, but more a, a love of commonality. And I think that's what Gene finally saw in Rick. And not only as a studio advocate, he knew, Rick knew the studio, and therefore having him on the inside was certainly a, a winning play. He turned him. <laughs> he did. In the parlance of our time, he turned him. Well, he saw that Rick was not just, despite what many fans over the years might have thought, he saw that Rick was not just another suit that got it. Exactly. It wasn't just the lineup of guys at the shooting gallery. of. Because as we've already talked about on the, your first time out, um, this whole device of having a show ready for Gene and you know, like, take it or leave it. And, and dropped in, in course. That was the leverage that brought Gene back. And Rick was in on those discussion. So he, I guess at some point he was going to be the studio guy for the show. Right. And, and they, their relationship started off that way. And I think the fact that, that in these meetings that could turn very contentious, the fact that Rick stood up 
for both sides, you know, said to Gene, look, this is a guy that is – he understands that, that there's a reason we're doing this. It's not just about who's going to win. It's not just about the studio gets what they want or I get what I want. It's about the product at the end and, um, you know, the, the uh, viewer experience and, and all the – Would we like our investment to pay off yeah. down the <laughs> Yes, well, have a little return. On that's right. A little ROI there. Yeah. yeah. No, I just, but I just, we came across this letter in the archives, and I thought, what a simple, again, not talking about Star Trek. Yeah. Just a little, a little Monet book. But he says, uh, if your ability to please a television audience of the 80s is anywhere near that of pleasing humble studio executives, I figure we'll be working together for a very long time. <laughs> so, yeah, a real, uh, real loquacious silver tongued devil there. Yeah, that's Rick. <laughs> When he had to be, because it is it's such a political. People think, oh, you're at the top of the mountain here, looking down on everybody. But there's, I, I think, some of that's come to light with Enterprise. Some of the battles with reconstituted UPN or, or baby UPN at the beginning of yeah, it was a, you know, yeah. I mean, f- for Next Generation, just to go, off, I guess, off topic a little here. By the time I came onto Next Generation, it was a well-oiled machine. It was also at the top of its game. It was also you couldn't go anywhere without somebody either. Uh, uh, being a Star Trek fan or knowing a Star Trek fan who wanted to talk to you about Star Trek The Next Generation. And as such, we had a certain amount of anonymity in the studio, which was unheard of. We didn't have to go through network notes or studio notes. Uh, You know, if they had something they wanted to say, they would just give Rick a call. But it was so few and far between that we received any kind of information like that. But then when when UPN launched, it became... uh, a much different story and, and straight through to Enterprise until, you know, there was a, an entire executive group there that didn't know Rick, that didn't know. They, they were purely looking at numbers and looking at, you know. If they weren't turning over every year or two or three. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they had, you know, they uh, on their side, they had fun things like, you know, their notes were, um, I remember a UPN note that was, um, hey, you know that place where everybody eats on Enterprise? We're wondering um, – you know, music cross-promotion is huge right now, and we're wondering if a different boy band could play in that room while people, while the cast is, you know, while the, the captain is eating his meals. <laughs> and, you know, you had to go back to them and say, you, you understand the premise of the show is that we're going away from Earth. We're not going to have a complement of boy bands on the ship with us, you know. They were specially selected boy bands. <laughs> Highly trained. <laughs> Highly trained and cross-purposed into their exploring. That's stuff. right. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, well, Dave, this is, again, a simple little document, but something, the kind of thing that uh, may not make it into the big history books, but I, I thought it was a great doorway, a great, a great entry point into um, late Gene, early Rick, how they crossed over and how it changed so many people's lives. It is, and it, and it really shines a light on their on their their shared passion for things that that weren't necessarily the subject matter right which led texture to the whole the whole the whole relationship and and colored the show to come as the years unfold and as gene handed over those reins yes thanks for being with me today we'll have you back thank you the trek files is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry additional production by ken ray all documents are available at facebook.com the trek files For more podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. For more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47, that's me, at larrynimichek.com.
podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.